Hi, I'm Tiffany. And I'm Rihanna, and welcome or welcome back to Fresh Off the Broke. Fresh Off the Broke is about personal experiences growing up Asian American in a predominantly white community, Asian media, and Asian pop culture in general. Race has always been a sensitive topic. Every day, there are debates over race. With our podcast, we intend to shed light on the experiences of first-generation Asian immigrants, not put them on a pedestal. We understand that race isn't everything, but there should be an acknowledgement of people of color, the knowledge gap, and the racial divide that will ideally be broken. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into the episode. Today we'll be discussing sustainability. We have the pleasure of speaking with two wonderful guests this episode, so could you guys please introduce yourselves? Hi everyone, um, my name's Angelica. I'm a returning guest here on uh, Fresh Off the Brook. Um, and, yeah, thank you. Um, and yeah, today I'm super excited to speak um, about this topic of sustainability because it's something that I'm super passionate about, um, something that I'm also studying and pursuing um, in my own education. So hopefully I'll have a really lovely conversation today um, with that you, you all have to offer um, and learn from you all as well. Hi everyone, this is, uh, my name is Andrew from Boba Guys. I uh, founded and I'm technically, I guess, the CEO of Boba Guys, which we're a chain of cafes around San Francisco, New York, and LA. So, well, it's lovely having both of you here. It's great that we have like two different perspectives, for example, we have someone that's directly in the industry, you know, with like Boba Guys, and then we have someone that is a student as well as run their own uh, food blog, Angelica. So I guess we'll just talk a little bit more about sustainability. Sus- oh my god, sustainability in Asian food slash the food industry. So, for example, like Asians being resourceful with their food, like using the entire animal, which isn't necessarily done by only Asians. We're just speaking from our experience. And also um, the bubble teas industry's contributions to plastic waste because it heavily relies on plastic cups and straws. So yeah, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Slash, do you have any observations on that stuff? I guess we can go with the industry side first. (laughs) Oh, industry side first? No, it's in ladies first. No, okay, okay, it depends. Like, where where should we start off? Um, Okay, personally, because I'm vegetarian, so I can't really speak much on the whole, like, resourceful with the animal part of things I guess yeah Um, yeah but I think in general there is like the notion of scarcity in like Chinese culture I'm not sure how applicable it is to like modern day um with like you know cities and urbanization everything but definitely like I was brought up with like the idea of like scarcity like you have to finish every last grain in your bowl um and like yeah, things like that. So I feel like those notions of, you know, saving food, um, reducing food waste, and those aspects of sustainability were always embedded in some way. That's my take on it. No, I agree. I think what Angelica said was, I grew up very similarly. Um, yeah, I don't think our parents thought of it as, yeah, sustainability or a corporate social responsibility or this climate change thing. They were just taught to not waste things, period you know, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. uh, reusables, everyone's using reusables now. And I'm like, well, uh, I had old ragu spaghetti sauce jars hold, you know, uh, peanuts and, um, you know, peanut jars hold, uh, long on. Like I just had all these random things that my parents just reuse these jars. None of the labels ever matched. And, uh, you know, the cookie tins with your sewing kit. Oh my God. Oh yeah. The cookie tins. (laughs) I know people, I, I was like, man, did they all like, 
you know, like, were they all in uh, unison or like in cahoots and saying, hey, but, you know, let's teach our children the same thing. I don't even know how that happened with the whole sewing kit um, thing. Mm-hmm. But I think the idea is that, you know, they didn't grow up with a lot of, a lot, period. Mm-hmm. You know, most mm-hmm. of our, you know, especially Asian culture is uh, immigrant culture. And many of them fled from war-torn countries, right? So mm-hmm. when you have that kind of scarcity mindset, uh, you come from war, you think about rationing, you think about resourcefulness. So yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I'll lean into kind of the next part, which you kind of asked about is just in general, like plastics and single use stuff. Obviously on the business side of things, you know, we're at a very interesting, you know, we're an interesting time, you know, prior to the pandemic, I would say sustainability, climate change was probably the number top two issue in, in, I think in the United States. Um, it's now like number three, maybe four after, um, you know, uh, getting through a pandemic, uh, social justice, um, and now we call climate change, sustainability, maybe, um, other types of, uh, social equality. I think obviously, you know, I'm, if you guys know my background, I'm progressive. So I'm up for everything. Um, I think, they're all tied together too, right? A lot of times, you know, you can't afford, I'm just going to say it, you can't afford to be super organic and sustainable. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are poor, you just, it just, you go to, you know, you have food deserts, you have, you know, a lot of economics and I'm a businessman by trade. So sadly we are in a capitalist society. So in a capitalist society, you know, you have to pay for your values, sadly. Mm-hmm right? Your money is where you express your values. That's, that's how it works. One, but I'm like, I can't charge double the price for my drinks if I went fully organic, you know? So things like that, I think come up a lot. Um, even single use, we were doing all these compostable things and then single use came and I can't do any of that because, uh, everything is grab and go during the pandemic, right? Cause of, mm-hmm. uh, contact this and stuff. So it is through my entire supply chain for a loop. I got a hundred thousand cups or is that a hundred thousand? Yeah. I got a hundred boxes. So oh, 10, yeah. A hundred thousand box uh, cups that are on its way from overseas. And I can't do fully compostable because um, the supply chain is all broken. So I think people aren't thinking about that. I agree with a lot of the things um, Andrew said with respect to the intersectionality between environmentalism and social justice and um just like all the pieces together because it's never just one thing that's isolated from the next and it's always all these pieces playing together and unfortunately most of the time most people who are affected the worst by climate change and by these environmental issues like environmental pollution um or like toxicity etc um those are like the marginalized communities so it's yeah it's very interesting to just kind of see this intersectionality between everything. And yeah, like the thing he said, he mentioned about um, about supply chains as well and how globalized everything is right now. Like in a way that has been, you know, really good that we could, you know, eat pineapples and papaya that are shipped halfway across the world and have access to all these foods. But at the same time, it definitely does decrease our uh, self-sufficiency um, because we're like really reliant on these global supply chains such that when something like a pandemic comes or um, some other sort of you know thing that reduces this trade then everything kind of shuts down so yeah it's super interesting 
Yeah, and I'm so I'm so glad that both of you brought that up because nowadays, especially with the whole idea of like greenwashing or trying to convince people, just like Andrew said, to like buy certain things, almost in a sense to seem like you care more about the environment rather than actually caring about the environment. I imagine both both of you have seen elements of that on uh, social media or just shopping in general. Yeah, I mean, I'll share, I don't really get asked too many sustainability questions, to be honest, um, which I always, when we were prepping for this call uh, or this podcast, I was really excited because, you know, I think I'd love for your audience to know, especially the youth, is that, you know, it, it is where kind of ethics meets commerce and where, you know, what they don't teach you in school. Um, I think a lot of your audience is kind of like in school, um, just like Angelica, I think, you're you're kind of taught like what you think the ideal would be but then how do you get to an ideal right like how do you what how realistic is it and you know i was again as i i didn't want to like name drop my school but i went to probably arguably the most famous school for corporate social responsibility it's what berkeley's known for right and so i would say even then you know in the business program they talk a lot about well does it pay to be ethical? Does it pay to, you know, to be environmentally friendly and all that stuff? And it depends. It depends on the market, right? Some people, as we said, can't afford it. So greenwashing is huge because I'll give you a good example about that. You know, what people don't talk about with, with PLA and cups, polylactic acid cups, that's the compostable greenware cups you see in a lot of the United States and Canada, right? Mm-hmm. It's that one with the green ribbon. So, you know, that's a huge greenwashing thing. Right now we have those PLA cups technically sitting on boats on its way here, but they're stuck, which is good and bad. Like we weren't even ready to release them anyways. But once we get them, we don't even know how we're going to release them because you to process those, they need heat or pressure to break those down. Otherwise they're going to stay just in landfills and it's going to take another 40 years to biodegrade anyways. Mm-hmm. So it was technically... And not a lot of places even can deal with breaking down those cups. You know, I'm in Los Angeles right now and not a, every one of them can process PLA, PET, mm-hmm. which is, you know, polyethylene, um, which is both basically fossil fuel. That's bad, but it's technically more recyclable. So, you know, what, and there's much more processes and infrastructure built around recycling PET cups, plastic cups versus PLA, polylactic acid cups. But people aren't talking about that. Another one is most people know we're very famous for making sustainable straws happen in the United States. Like I helped write the bill in San Francisco for the plastic straw ban, which I'm Taiwanese. So in Taiwan, you know, you know, we had the whole island say we're going to go single use plastic free by 2030, which is how I got the idea. And then when it came to San Francisco, you know, the legislators asked, is there anybody willing to get behind this? And they really asked me because they knew boba and straws are very kind of interrelated. And so I, it was very controversial, but I endorsed it and then helped write the ordinance, which is the plastic straw ban ordinance in 2018 or 17, 18 in San Francisco. And then that became the blueprint of all these plastic straw bans. And then people are like, well, that didn't really solve the plastic issue, right? You know, yeah, you maybe saved the turtle that had the video with the straw in its nose, but did you really make an impact? And I'm saying, Ultimately, what I think it all is about, it's about culture. Mm-hmm. The plastic straw ban created more awareness about sustainability, period. 
and we didn't die. Mm -hmm. Everybody was like, well, all these, these bad paper straws, that's not great either. We're using bamboo straws that's come from Taiwan. Those are perfectly fine. Right now, as I'm drinking, I'm drinking from, through a bamboo straw. We sold, you know, two, three million drinks a year with bamboo straws. No one's complaining. Wow. So it actually then made it a dent. Now we can go after PLA. But even then, we have to be very, very careful where it has to kind of move. And, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. You know, mm -hmm. fuel efficiency, cars, even that has, you know, evolved over a decade or two before, you know, getting off of, you know, we have cars now that are purely electric off of fossil fuels. But that took, I, in my lifetime, like 15 years mm -hmm. before I, when I first saw the first EV car. So I think that's just my business, you know, old man take on it. And it's just like, that's why we need the youth. I like talking to you all because right now you guys have that energy, that idea, get that research, get that kind of mentality down. By the time you guys have your platforms and have resources or run a company like me, then you'll take those ideals and transform them into real life action. Um, so it won't just be like people being loud and putting Instagram posts on Canva, you know, like yeah. <clears throat> that's great. But honestly, that doesn't make real change in my opinion. Like be loud is doesn't change legislation the, the environmentalists like awareness it's not like people don't know climate change is out there i don't think that's it's an awareness problem at this point it's a preference and conversion problem yeah that's you built on so many good points because um even with the fact of the whole pla thing um yeah it's not accepted by the city of vancouver and a lot of um, businesses like they don't simply know because it's not really talked about like it's just oh well if we're gonna have a ban then what other alternatives can we shift towards and obviously it is such a big greenwashing tool um, and yeah again it's not accepted by the cities like recycling facilities composting facilities so essentially they just end up in the garbage um, and also like the whole fact that they're derived from corn byproducts which is one of like the most industrially produced um products out there like I, I'm pretty sure for Andrew if you're from the U.S. you know about like the U.S. corn belt and like the whole like monocropping situation and that in itself. oh yeah we're talking yeah, about Monsanto like... yeah are we gonna are we gonna bash Monsanto <laughs> I'm here for it I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah there's like so like industrial agriculture is like another whole other piece so this kind of like touches on how just how interconnected everything is um and yeah like you said um I definitely think there needs to be some sort of social like behavioral change away from this idea of like convenience and um it's kind of like mass like we can just you know keep extracting without really ever thinking and I always thought it's like a both like because people always ask me like oh like like and in my class we always talk about you know our industry is more at fault or our consumers more at fault and I always thought it was like a both sides thing is never one or the other it can't be exclusively you know companies or the individuals without either side changing um so yeah definitely I think there does need to be this cultural behavioral shift kind of away from a sort of convenience driven mindset but yeah the super interesting I just like totally touched on so many things <laughs> let me ask Angelica so you know now that you're in kind of school learning about this stuff like if I had to be honest you know I have 400 employees that are kind of part of the more mostly gen, most of them are gen z some of them are probably listening and they're wondering what i'm going to say <laughs> so hello everyone uh they're like andrew the boss is on on its podcast uh i wonder 
how how much of your class your class and your generation do you really think feels this way because i do think you know you have a very you have a very measured sophisticated nuanced take on this if i had to guess i'd say there's quite a substantial faction that don't yeah it's a little no. more yeah you know what i mean i don't know what do you yeah no you're you feel like you're in the minority or I definitely yeah. feel like I'm in the minority um, because so actually like my story of how I got into this environmental studies is um, I didn't start off here. I started off, you know, in your traditional like sciences. I was like, you know, probably going to become a doctor or something. Um, figured out I hated met, uh, hated bio. And then I start, I tried to do like computer, um, didn't enjoy that either. And then, and then afterwards, like I was um, volunteering at this um, event one time and I just like, it just like hit me how much waste there was um, because it was like a really big event. You know, they ordered uh, takeout for everyone there. And there was like about 500 people every day for the entire week. So like those lunch boxes just stacked up and it just like kind of like hit me one day. And then I started like doing my research um, into like other programs. And then my friends were like, yeah, if you know, if you're not in something you like, you might as well switch. And I was like halfway through my degree and I was like, you know what, like go be or go home. And then, yeah. So then I switched into, um, this current faculty, which is actually called Land and Food Systems um, at UBC. And it was such like a different take on things because I realized from, from sciences, everything was very like individualistic. It was very like atomized in terms of the worldview um, that they wouldn't really see, I guess they wouldn't really present that kind of like systemic lens on things. And because right now I have this flexibility with my other degree in Land and Food Systems that I can, you know, I can explore poli-sci courses or sociology courses or science courses um, or like forestry courses. So I have like, I have the ability to kind of like pull environmental lenses from all these different sides. So I'm not just seeing like, just, you know, climate change is, you know, the carbon in the atmosphere. I'm not just like looking at the one lens, but also seeing like, oh, there's like the social side of like, um, you know, like social side, social injustice, environmental injustice. And then there's like the political end with like, how this global order is factoring into it, how um, global politics and the power play on that global sphere is also factoring into what decisions global leaders make in terms of their climate kind of agreements and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's definitely really interesting. And I definitely feel like it was really interesting because in my first two years at Science, not once did they ever talk about climate change. Like, none of my classes and it was so it was like such a shock wow. to me because it wasn't until yeah I, I went into LFS in my third year and took like my first environmental course I was like wait why is this not talked about like this is literally something that's going to affect each and every one of us and I was so shocked that in in sciences it wasn't ever mentioned unless you really went into that stream um so yeah it was just that's just kind of my take on it but yeah um I totally think it's not it's not the majority unfortunately um I mean the people I surround myself with are all you know they are all aware of that but I think in terms of like the broader even like within my broader like UBC school population because LFS is a pretty tiny faculty and my program is a pretty tiny program with like maybe like 90 people max out of like like the 60,000 on my campus so I definitely don't think it's the 
I think there is like an awareness out there, but in terms of acting on it, is that's going to be another whole question of its own. So, yeah, that's like my long story short ramble. <laughs> I'm just like listening because I don't really um, like. I'm not very not educated, but like I don't really know. Okay, I guess I don't really know. I don't know how to word this, but it's, like, it's just interesting to listen and like learn about all these things because. Yeah, because I think in high school, yeah, in high school too, they don't really touch on anything. Like, I remember, yeah, like what science 10, well, at least with the BC curriculum, I'm not sure what the Ontario one is, but like science 10, they like roughly touch on ecology, but it's more like the biology side of things. Yeah, definitely. Like, I was gonna bring up at my at our school, um, environmental science is treated as um like it's not an academic course like oh not not academic it's not a university level course it's a mixed course so the way that our teachers presented to us is like oh if you're not good at biology if you're not good at chemistry just take environmental science to get that third science out so that's why like it's really interesting to learn about all these things because like the way that our school system presents it is like just do it if you're not that great at science you know yeah and that that makes me reflect a bit on even in the university level because it seems like there's a lot of focus at least I found within the faculty of science there is a lot of hierarchy unfortunately um, and a lot of this kind of like inter-faculty like you know dominance or something it's kind of yeah it's really not it shouldn't be there but unfortunately it is um, and I found that even within the Faculty of Science, the, the preferred majors such as like biochemistry or like chemistry, biology, microbiology, like those ones that were working towards the whole like medical field um, or alternatively, if you were in the computer science field, those were always kind of the more like preferred ones. Um, mm-hmm. And then everything else would kind of be like an underdog. And you would kind of be like, if you were in those like people, you know, it would, it would, there is this like hierarchy behind it. It's, it's kind of interesting now that you brought it up that it even happens at the high school level. Yeah. I mean, the, where I would add, you know, not to sound again, like, I feel like I'm your guys's like, you know, I'm, I'm like Boba dad. Cause that's what it feels like with my team. But um, <laughs> so I apologize if, if any of this, if ever someone's listening is like, Oh my God, Andrew sounds like he's so old, but I'm not that I'm probably twice your guys's age, but you know, again, most of my team is your, are, is your generation. And you know what I, I, I kind of, I've said this before, and I think it, it's a good analogy is that I think if it's, you have to be in the game, you have to be on the playing field. So, but there's so many different roles that are engaged in the battle in the playing field. Right. So well, I think what Angelica was just saying is that, you know, there's all these different departments on school in school. Some is environmental sciences, some is marketing, some is sociology, some is biochemistry, some is like me- mechanical engineering, civil engineering, you know, all of those disciplines, marketing, all of those disciplines touch climate change, sustainability, all of them, even marketing like me, because I, I actually was on the, I didn't even ever tell this. I have no reason to, other than something, a topic like this, I, I was in the first committee at Walmart, you know, one of my first jobs, if you look at my LinkedIn, uh, I worked for a company called Walmart, which is really big. I think there's some in the Canada, but uh, it's the biggest retailer, especially, well, now it's after Amazon, but at the time it was the biggest. And, you know, they were rolling out a sustainability initiative. And I was one of the first people to raise my hand and be on that committee. 
And we were talking about, you know, FSC, the Forest Sustainability Council, you know, um, you know, responsible fishing, uh, organics. And I think when you kind of see that world, that was through the world of commerce, right? But as, you know, Angelica was saying with, with uh, what everyone's saying is there's just so many disciplines that touch this, 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 this climate change movement that you can come in on many different sides. So I use kind of like a superhero analogy where you have, everybody comes to the table. There's some Thors, there's some Captain Americas, there's some Iron Mans, uh, you know, there's Black Widows. Everybody's got a role, but you have to have enough power and superpower to actually fight. And I say this to the youth because if I had to be honest, and I, I don't mean this in any way that sounds, I hope people don't snip at this and take it out of context, because some people will say, oh, it could possibly sound like, you know, okay, boomer or condescending. It's not at all. But when you're in your 20s, rarely, unless you're coming from like a billionaire family or some power structure, you almost have no power. You really don't. Maybe social media, but arguably in climate change world, a 20 year old's campaign, unless you're, you know, Greta Thunberg, it's really, really hard for you to kind of get that voice, right? You just, we have to admit that. Mm-hmm. So you work on your time to kind of, Right now, it's like build your platform, can make those connections, be with people who think like you and join a power structure. So what do you think is the most common or infuriating misconception about this whole like sustainability movement for you? Oh, wow. That's probably a little bit. Let me think about that one. (laughs) <laughs> I think, um, I don't know if it's a misperception, but I think the idea, I think 90% of what people think is real, what they're doing is activism or pushing for real change is I think performative in my opinion. Um, because I think it's not consistent with their values. Like I think you know, the people who, who like to post and shame others about, you know, using plastic or whatever, they're, you look at their accounts and the clothes they're wearing, and I'm like, that's fast fashion. Let's talk about apparel, and let's talk about dyes and, and fabric, because I used to work at Timbuktu. I know the whole supply chain. So I'm like, I don't really, I think everybody, this is not just environmentalism. I think everybody has their own way of participating and we got to let that happen, you know? And I don't like when people are kind of like performative and shaming. I, I specifically don't like shaming. You guys know this on my IG and, and Boba guys. I, do, I hate it when people get like, I don't know, like, well, if you're so great, you should do X. I'm like, look at you. What are you doing? You know, I, I could, I have receipts. Yeah. You guys know my receipts. You could physically see what I do. Bamboo straws, PLA cups, uh, donations. I can tell you hundreds of thousands of dollars that I've given away. I have those receipts. Your turn. You show me yours. Your post is not a receipt. So like to me, I, I have a very strong, that's why, and by the way, that's why so many people are against doing things that are like for causes because most people have decent common sense and are like, that doesn't make real change. But my angry friend on Twitter and Instagram who shames me because of whatever reason for not speaking out, for not being vegan, for not being whatever, 
that's not how it works. You know, like I'm not a vegan myself, but if you notice, Boba guys push plant-based drinks. We're the ones who brought Oatly to America, oat milk, you know? We have that more with dairy nowadays than, than with our matcha, than dairy, which I know dairy has a lot, a huge carbon footprint. So we use oat milk, which is also still not even ideal, but better than almond milk, right? Like, but that's the way we try to do it. So, you know, I, it gets not a misconception, but it's just this idea that you can kind of perform your way out of any type of activism, especially environmentalism. Like, that's just not how it works. The game is not fought online. You know, so mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Again, I sound old when I say that because I know people are like, "Oh, easy for you to say, you have a platform." That's not true. When I was your guys' age, I was yeah, still thinking the same thing. Yeah, and I can't. I just happened to come out of a school that created a lot of great leaders. So I'm just trying to be the same. I just want the people who put their bets on me and trusted me that I was a very free thinker. I do not follow the mob ever. That's why I'm so provocative I guess sometimes and sometimes I get canceled <laughs> mm -hmm. for that reason but it's because I don't follow the mob I I do what's right not what sounds right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I mean people people that do that they're gonna get a lot of haters whether they're doing it like quote-unquote right or not right because like if you're going oh, yeah. against the grain people are gonna be like ah oh. I know they're, it's so hard yeah I mean there's there's clear wrongs in a lot of stuff like but I don't think people who care about climate change do any of the clear wrongs, right? Like for the most part, people want to get more fuel efficient cars. They want to get off of fossil fuels, right? They want to mm -hmm. like use, get clothes that last longer. They want to have food that is a little bit more sustainable. That's why McDonald's moved that way. That's why grass fed beef or, you know, less modified stuff is in the everyday mainstream culture. If it wasn't, then the companies wouldn't be making it because the companies move to where the demand is. So mm -hmm. because of that, just see that progress has happened, but it didn't happen because somebody put an IG post, you know, it, they did it because somebody probably with power, you know, found their own way. You know, the IG post gives awareness. Again, it's just that this specific topic, climate change is not an awareness problem. It is definitely not an awareness problem. You see fires every year, you see tornadoes and, you see, you see water rising, you see icebergs melting. I don't think anybody's not seen those things. It's, it's a conversion preference problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Angelica, like you said earlier, like in your class, you said that you kind of saw yourself or like you felt like a minority since it didn't seem like people cared as much. What are, what are your thoughts on this whole thing? Yeah, um, it's very complicated because I think we touched on a lot of this earlier, but yeah, like getting people to act on it and also taking into account their abilities to act depending on, um, you know, their various socioeconomic status, um, et cetera. And, and also like factoring into the account that, you know, we are from a developed global West um, country and we have this privilege of taking these actions, whereas for many other people, you know, what plastic bags or whatever other, you know, whatever the food that they're given is all that they have and they don't really have a choice. So it's kind of like factoring into account all these interconnected pictures. And yeah, it's like just like a very complicated problem. Um, but I definitely do think that, you know, given that we do have this privilege, perhaps 
you know, if we sacrifice a little bit of our convenience or our, um, you know, our consumption of clothing or whatever, maybe like, yeah, maybe if that, like, we have to, like, this world only has so much to go around in this finite, you know, bubble. <laughs> and is eventually, like, if we do want to, like, equalize things like there's no way for all of us to be uplifted to this kind of you know the living standards of this developed global west is how I like to think of it and I do think that there will need to be some sacrifice it's just a question of whether or not we are you know for all of us who are already in this position whether that is feasible um and it's yeah, it's really interesting. I don't know, honestly, it was one of those like moral dilemma questions. Like I remember, you know, yeah, having yeah. yeah, like having class and just in our discussion groups, it would just be like all of us would come back and we'd be like, well, there's no conclusion to this because it is a dilemma. <laughs> and that's like that's what also that is also what makes climate change and environmental issues and even like a lot of other things again tied to like social justice, um, inequalities, like class, all that like it's what makes it so complicated um, because there is never just one solution. And I think for me, um, a big part is of what I envision is that it would be people coming together um, and communities and like more interconnectedness because I think in our modern day kind of world and in this, again, what Andrew said earlier, like capitalist society, everything is really driven by competition. That's kind of the fundamental market structure is that you want to have that competitive advantage. Um, and everything is all about, you know, competing to get to the top. But perhaps, you know, if you have competition, you're going to have one winner and one loser. But perhaps what we need is like a win-win situation where maybe we're not at the very, very top together, but we're at a middle ground where everyone can be, um, you know, can enjoy their basic amenities and get by and find more connection that way. And I think that is going to be a big part of how we can bridge this gap of, you know, all this division, like Andrew said earlier, with like online communities and like, you know, shaming people and all that. It's like, that's not going to help. We need people coming together and being like, okay, like you might have a different take on this and that's totally cool, but we are working towards a common goal. So yeah like let's come together and do something mm -hmm. instead of you know wasting all this energy on like shaming others or saying like you're not doing enough mm -hmm. um, kind of yeah like what Andrew said so that's kind of my take yeah on it. I, I was gonna add to that you know Angelica said something really cool um it's about you you said it's about thinking about others it's about going back to what we said when we started why did why did our parents why were they so resourceful why did they want to use every piece of the animal when they when they were eating um like a cow or a pig like why did they use every every piece of an animal or every a grain or bamboo 15 different ways i think a lot of it is knowing that there's other people who live off of the same land or that there's other people also who need food and mm -hmm. it's almost like an insult or uh, disrespectful if you waste it. Mm -hmm. The root of that is collectivism, mm -hmm. right? So in America, we're one of the most consumerist 
we are the, the main consumer society that we're the, the blueprint of it. And that's a product of individualism. It's kind of, we are king, what makes me look better, what makes me feel happy and all that kind of stuff. It makes it great, but it, we lose out. We're so kind of extreme that we lose out on the ability to think about the collective. Mm -hmm. I actually think Angelica is right. If people thought more about their neighbor and was more generally empathetic to others, you actually would share more. I think about, this has nothing to do with this topic, but it is similar. Everybody's talking about in, in my hometown, San Francisco, there was the Asian woman who was beat up, right? Uh, the old one mm -hmm. um, in Market Street, which is this main popular throwaway in thoroughfare in San Francisco. And she had the wooden stick and she beat up the guy and they, the community got raised a million dollars of GoFundMe for her. In America, what normally, and you've seen the articles now, most people will say a million dollars GoFundMe, great, I can go retire. What did she first do? She's old. She's like 80 plus years old. What mm -hmm. did she do? She so gave the this. money to the community. Mm -hmm. How many times have you seen GoFundMes? What? I was not even surprised that it was, it took an elderly Asian woman to, to do that. Cause I, my grandma would have done the same thing mm -hmm. because it's cultural. It was thinking about the future, about the community, about others. So I think that's the root of most progress and activism. When you think about others, environmentalism, all that kind of stuff, I think about mm -hmm. you, your generation. I don't want to screw it up for you. I think about my team. My, my nieces, my future children, if I screw it up, I selfishly, I might just feel guilty. It's just like, I got to hand it off better than when I got it. You're supposed to leave it better. We're leaving it worse off. We're leaving most things worse off. So that's kind of like, I think we're Angelica's point. I, I think that's like the biggest point of all. You know, environmentalism is one part, but it's part of this idea that we just don't think of the collective anymore. Yeah, and... Yeah, no, you touched on so many good points and the fact of like handing things off better um, than, you know, than before, you know, than we had it is, yeah, it's so ingrained into so many um, traditional, like cultures and stuff. I think like in, in Chinese culture, like there's, you know, worshiping like your ancestors and um, all this, you know, family is a very big part of Chinese culture um, in terms of and kind of like the filial piety and yeah so I think there's just so many interesting facts there and yeah I totally agree with the fact that it is really about this cultural shift like in a way like with you know the whole like internet era obviously it has given us so many amazing opportunities like this opportunity to record this right now um, but at the same time there is a lot of that distancing and I think we definitely do need a lot of the coming back together to nurture our empathy for each other and for yeah for people that you might not know but you know that you know as you know you have a moral responsibility to just leave this place a better for them um but yeah mm -hmm. yeah I feel like like one of the possible reasons why people get so divided about this or people always end up centering themselves is that since the environment is something like it's something that obviously affects us all, right? Like climate change, whether or not you believe or like care about it, you're, like you're living in it anyway. But the thing, the thing that's just at least from my observation that I feel like makes people be all like self-congratulatory or just like always want to center themselves is that since the environment 
they technically could just like, how do I put this? They could just ignore it or at the same time, just make it about themselves since it is, like it's not, for example, a specific group of people or like a specific whatever that's being affected is like the animals. And since like with humans, like they have this whole like, not superiority complex, but since humans are supposed to be like the, the super animal, they're like the developed, the ones that like created society and all that stuff, people end up kind of turning it into a contest, if that makes sense. Yeah, I kind of get where you're going with that. Um, I think definitely what makes it hard is that it's hard to internalize environmental things as like something that directly affects us because it is like physically it is like you know it, it seems like it's very externalized but in a way like you know when people think about this whole like nature versus human divide or like this mm-hmm. whole aspect of wilderness is actually really like a colonial construct of like oh like the wilderness is like this untouched land that like now has all this productive you know capabilities that we can harvest but in fact if you've actually looked at how indigenous peoples have lived on this land they have like their connection with their surrounding environment is is like it traverses like all aspects of like physical um spiritual cultural like everything and Mm -hmm. If you think about like everything around us, it all came from somewhere. Like, mm-hmm. you know, from like my laptop, like the minerals that went into that, or like um my phone, like it all came from this planet in one way or another, in some shape or form. Um, so in a way, like we are all connected to this planet in some way. It's just we don't see. And also with respect to like environmental impacts, I think, yeah, like we don't often see like we see like, okay, there's like a wildfire. And then, you know, once that season's over, we don't really think about it, but there's also a lot more nuanced things like the chemicals that go into our food. um, And then from all that to like the microplastics in like the oceans that have ended up in fish that people end up consuming again. Um, So it all kind of, you know, rotates back. It's all a cycle because everything is interconnected. And what, what happens in one part of the world is going to be connected to what happens to us and it is all like a very very big web of relationships is how I see it but I think yeah for us it's very easy to be like detached from it sometimes because you don't really see your laptop in front of you as you don't see it as like same as like the environment quote-unquote like the trees or whatever but it is like these minerals came from somewhere because you know you can't create atoms out of thin air and you can't make atoms disappear from thin air so mm-hmm. it is all like interconnected so yeah mm-hmm. and a lot of the times like like you said people don't realize or they choose to not think about how all these things come from somewhere just because they can you know they can just be like oh yeah this is just like i'm, I'm using this like i'm using a laptop and mm-hmm. It's kind of sad how people can distance like the environment from the things that they use every day, even though the environment and just like, like you said, the mineral, like minerals and like atoms, those things, like whether or not you acknowledge it, it's there. And since people have been distancing that from like our, pers- our like, personal lives or whatever, it does become almost like 
an optional thing to care about or just like an optional thing to even talk about in general. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, like with what Andrew said, with like um, pioneering the bamboo straw movement and stuff like that, if he like if he wanted to, he could have just not done it and not cared about it, and then people would have just gone on with their lives, right? You know what I mean? Like it's it's of course a very necessary thing to talk about and implement, but had he had um, like you not done that, people wouldn't have thought about it at all anyway. If if you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean thanks for uh, bringing that up and. Uh, not to make it, a, again, not to make it about me or even centering <laughs> it. It's the idea, forget it was us, right? Like mm-hmm. what, if you look at it from a Martian's perspective, bird's eye point of view, I was where you guys were at 20 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So I had that kind of passion. I was, you know, in my dorms, I was discussing, you know, Kantian ethics, you know, you know, is, is the intent, does that matter? And when I, when I make it, quote unquote, when I make it and I have, the decision-making ability to, to make change. Will I, you know, be selfish or will I do it for the greater good, right? Those are the things you think about when you're in college and when you're kind of right out of school. That to me was you guys. I was that. So I'm not saying, oh, I did the whole environmental stuff or reusable stuff or all the API stuff that I do because, you know, I you know, I decided to have cloud. You guys saw I tur- turn off my Instagram. I don't have any posts anymore, right? So like you could tell what it was, was more the fact that when I was your guys' age, I was working on it and people were coaching me and saying, work on your character, work on your, your mentality, work on your mindset, do your homework, make sure you're very, your foundation's locked. So I did that for so long that yes, I think it's almost hard to, like, unless you're going to argue with me about, you know, Jean-Jacques Rousseau and Emmanuel Kant or, um, you know, Emile Durkheim, it's pretty freaking hard to do that and talk to me about business and economics and politics at the same time and convince me of anything. It's rare because my discipline now over the last decade has been so interdisciplinary that you guys are saying, but I, it's very well formulated. And if it doesn't fit my framework or if it doesn't make sense or I'm proven wrong, I've adjusted, right? Like I, there's certain things that I thought that was super true 15, 20 years ago. For example, I really thought it was more, e- I thought it was easier to convince people of things. I thought I was a young marketing guy. So if you're in marketing, you're taught that you can kind of change people's opinions about anything. That's true and untrue. You can kind of tweak people, but you can't make cynical people uncynical. I think it's really, really hard. And I think single-handedly, you can't do it. It's going to take a parent or a spouse or somebody really involved in your life or a traumatic event to change someone's life, to go from an optimist to a pessimist or from a pessimist to an optimist. It's really hard to change people's personality. So that's something that I actually thought in my 20s that I would always be like, well, you just change your mind, right? You just have to prove it to them. You can tell by the way I just talked about people who are like not environmentalists or racist. I, it's going to be really hard to freaking convince a racist not to be racist. I, I just tell people this all the time. You know, they're wired in a way that is just built towards hate. So how do you do it? You're going to either have to get to know them really, really well and show them through empathy or love or some other way, or they're going to have to get burned by it. 
they're going to have to get punched in the face for saying something racist and they won't forget that. That's ultimately how human society evolves, right? Like I think about, um, I'm getting really heady, but I really encourage people listening uh, to, and you all, to read Jonathan Haidt's work. Jonathan Haidt is a professor at NYU and he wrote The Coddling of the American Mind. That's a very, it's a great book. It's a very New York Times bestseller. But the part that people don't really read, which is maybe a chapter or two in his book that I study myself is called Moral Foundation Theory. And Moral Foundation Theory is the idea is how did, just like, you know, humans evolve from creatures and, and or, you know, we were kind of the primates that kind of be, became, uh, you know, this current capacity of thinking and intellect. Well, there's this idea that morals also evolved and that morality was also, you know, things about fairness, things about uh, justice, things about harm, things about liberty. That was actually socially evolved because that helped, you know, people who were more uh, that focused on equality and fairness maybe had ran better tribes or better villages or better whatever ecosystems that allowed them to thrive more, which led them to populate more. So there's these really advanced theories that I'm super into, by the way, right? You can tell that I, I think if you tie all those in, by the time you are with your platform, to, to you guys, I, I hope you guys will be faced with the same decision that's equivalent to bamboo straws or something even more sophisticated, probably to do like with getting rid of fossil fuels in general or um, plant-based in general. I actually, even though I'm not technically vegetarian, I actually eat very little red meat. Um, and um, yeah, it's a whole separate thing that if you guys follow my personal life, I actually just don't eat. I don't eat steaks and stuff like that a lot. I eat a lot of fruit. So I think that's really where, um, you know, I hope I'm encouraging you all that in 10 years, five years, 20 years, it's not, a, the, this decision isn't going to be about the, your version of the bamboo straws. It's going to be so natural because you already have 20 years of working on your mind and your heart on this stuff. So when that decision came to me, like I remember the, the supervisor, the, she's the elected official who wrote the bill for San Francisco for the straws, Katie Tang. She's no longer even in politics because she hates politics so much. But anyways, when she approached me, hey, Andrew, would you endorse this bill? Would you help me write it? I remember I was like, done. She's like, wait, it's very controversial. And I said, no, Taiwan's are really going to go with single use bans by 2030. Let's make San Francisco the, the, the blueprint for America. And she goes, all right, let's do it. And that's why that announcement was announced at a Boba Guys. It, the, the press conference was at a Boba Guys. And I got so much flack from that from the libertarians and people who don't believe in kind of like government overstepping. I got hated on, I got canceled the second time. I got canceled three times, that's the second time I got canceled. I was like, you know, like it's, it's silly. And then you learn how to, under, you know, you learn why people even think the opposite of you. And I'm just like, well, I'm gonna bet on the long game. And now everybody knows I was right, you know? So <laughs> yeah, it's fun to be on the other side, but people mm -hmm. are like, well, how did you know? That's a real question. How did you know? What homework did you really do through these years? This is where it goes back to what every one of you were saying is bring up different disciplines. You can tell. I told you I'm a marketer by training. I went to business school. I got my MBA. I went to the top school. I also study philosophy a lot. So I, I know a lot about, you know, I talk about Aristotelian ethics. I talk about 
you know, sociology. I talk about psychology. I'll talk a lot about politics. I talk about geopolitics. I speak a lot of different languages. So by the time you had, you have a certain platform, all of those come together. And that's when it's going to be very hard to refute you because at that point, people are going to come with you on a singular topic. Like, Oh, you should ban these cups. I'm like, let me tell you how everything's connected. And then they're going to have no answer. You know, like that's generally when you start really, then they start listening to you, you know? So that's, and that's the other thing. You can't shove things down people's throat. I don't, I only say this stuff on podcasts because people listening to this episode kind of know what they're coming into on my IG. You guys who follow me, I definitely in Twitter, I don't post this stuff because it, it it's not what the audience expects. So yeah, it's a little bit of my, my last kind of part of my Ted talk. <laughs> it's just uh, work on it now. And I, if you're talking about this conversation now in your guys' early twenties, in a decade, you'll listen to this episode. I hope we all listen to this episode. I'll be kind of hopefully retired and sitting back in um, in a log cabin like like Tony Stark or I don't know. Like I don't know. I'm, I like Tony Stark a lot. If you guys don't know, I'm gonna have a kid, Morgan, and you know I don't want to fight anymore. And you guys are that future generation. You guys are the superheroes, and you you practiced for a decade, and so that's what I really want you guys to start doing now. I. I and you guys are the beginning of it. If you're li listening to this type of content or even on the panel or organizing your own podcast now, wow, just imagine what you're doing a decade from now, right? That's, I didn't have podcasts back then, but I had, I did student government. I was the same kind of like that drive, that same kind of like, I want to change the world to be better. Um, I just didn't know how. That's the other thing too. You're like, well, I don't know where to start. Nobody knows where to start. I mean, I thought it was going to be in marketing. I thought it was maybe social justice. You know, I, I cared a lot about people have, if you know, people, sorry, they, they think I'm Asian. So they think I don't know. I used to run a um, social justice ministry. Uh, I was a church kid and I ran one. And when I was in 22 to 24 years old, and it was with the juvenile detention center in San Francisco. And so people are like, well, you just, you know, you're a model minority. You don't know anything about stuff like that. I'm like, you're talking to the wrong one. I grew up poor. So on top of that, I grew up without my parent. Parents don't have no education. They didn't help me through college. I had to pay through college. I saw through college. I worked all four years, you know, and I got good grades, you know, like, so the worst, you're going to, the worst criticism of me is like, I'm very type A, you can tell, um, but I'm very intentional. So, you know, put all those, you don't have to do exactly the same thing. Anybody's listening to me and go, oh my God, I can't do all that. You don't, you have just to do your own version and find those things you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. We covered a lot of important grounds today. So thank you so much for offering all this insight. I genuinely learned a lot today. So um, as we come to a close, what hopes do you guys have for the future slash what do you want people to leave thinking about? Wow. Yeah, that's a big question. I think kind of going back on that notion of like community, empathy, and like collectivity, like I hope people leave with just the mindset of yeah like being more empathetic and um like embracing community and also like even if you come out at the top like perhaps like you're gonna lose like I don't know maybe like it'll come at an expense of some other things so maybe mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I hope that 
like we can work together and I hope there is more togetherness in this very divided polarized world that we live in today I hope that like yeah next time like you know we're just approaching everyone with more empathy and more togetherness um and working towards like just having this collective well we already have the collective awareness but working towards a collective behavioral change um and yeah towards like a better future and I don't know I feel like there's like too much to sum into one sentence you know yeah yeah no don't don't worry about it there's there's (laughs) like you said in your class discussion there's no end all be all for this Mm -hmm. yeah there's no end all but I think stay hopeful um and yeah I think lead by action I want to that's one thing I want to leave you all with because that is something that I found personally really helpful um, mm-hmm. and just leading by action. And sometimes I think, yeah, actions speak louder than words and you can put out all the Instagram posts and say all the things you want to say. Um, and, you know, people might see it or hear it and then leave and not think about it again. But if you're really leading by action, I think it will show. And I think your demeanor will just naturally, you know, influence others around you to perhaps think differently and then that kind of evolves into a butterfly effect so yeah leading by action that's all kind of be what I leave with um I, I love that yeah 100% mm, I love that too I might just feel I already did my TED talk so I'm gonna keep it simple just do the next right thing right people say that just little baby steps this conversation getting more informed that's just a baby step and then next thing you do you have the power to lead your committee or make a change that's that's your next baby step so yeah so it's in the same vein as just being action oriented i'm very i'm very inspired by the youth i i always say this i generally you know you guys see i write this a lot but i actually love it if you guys are again doing this kind of thinking at this part of your guys's life stage man the sky's the limit for many of you guys listening so i'm yeah i'm old i just again just don't ruin the world the, the, don't my generation ruined it so uh just make sure that you guys fix a little bit of what we what we <laughs> what we here leave behind well thank you guys for coming today that was a great conversation mm-hmm. Th- thank you thank you so much thank you thank you you so much for tuning in today we like rihanna said we definitely learned a lot we hope you learned a lot feel free to leave a comment down below about things that you might have not thought about before listening to this episode maybe hopes that you have for the future and for anyone that's new to uh like climate climate action and like thinking about the environment we're gonna link a couple of resources maybe like articles or like videos and movies that you can check out because there's no shame in not knowing or not being as well versed in these topics as we all know like even the professionals they're still growing every day as well right so we hope that that can be helpful and guide you on your journey also Check out both Andrew and Angelica. The links are all down in the description below. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check out the card link in our Instagram bio. It contains
to our streaming platforms such as Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and more. Follow us for more behind-the-scenes content, announcements, and other random things we decide to put on there. See you next time. Bye.